on Isaiah from the um, aspect of the, the New Testament. And, and I'm sure that all of us would be aware that woven through Scripture, many themes follow through, and we've only got to look at the Bibles that are open in front of us, and many of us would see in the central margin lots of cross-references. And there are cross-references where ideas um, follow through. And, of course, if we were to look at um, all the cross-references where Isaiah is alluded to in the New Testament, we would be here for another six months, I would think, every week doing studies on that. So that's not our objective this evening. Um, so just to reassure you. As, as we go in this evening, I just want us to remember a couple of things that we looked at in our first study. Uh, and that was that, that central overarching principle captured in Isaiah's name itself, which means Yah has saved. That, that everything that's recorded in Isaiah, and of course that really mirrors the word of God itself, is all about salvation, God's plan for salvation. That's, that's always that central theme. That's what God's objective is. And how we look at all these things, we must have that objective in mind. And we have the two sons of, um, of Isaiah there, as we saw in that first study, Mahashalal Hashbaz, whose name means hasten to the booty or swift to the prey, which really captured, um, in a sense, the way that God would bring nations to um, against Israel to try and correct them and try to bring them back to him. That was always God's objective in sending his people into captivity, challenging them because he wanted them to come back to him. And that's why um, in Isaiah's other son's name, Shear Jashub, a remnant will return. That was always that objective with God. And that was underlined, wasn't it, in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom Yahweh hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from Yahweh of armies which dwelleth in Mount Zion. So that we just want to keep that in mind. And also that we saw that the prophecy was focused on Judah and Jerusalem. Um, in Revelation 5, we saw, and I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion that is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath overcome to open the book and the seven seals thereof. And so Judah itself, um, whilst of course talking about the region within Israel, also represented the one that would come in the the Lord Jesus Christ, and that um, focusing of Jerusalem, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And so Jerusalem itself, um, in those two aspects, Judah and Jerusalem, are talking about God's plan for his people and the focus on the kingdom of God being on Jerusalem itself which, is, of course, is why Paul in Acts chapter 28 says, For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. The hope 
of Israel. That was Paul's hope. And of course, the hope that got their hope, Help is Israel, which is where Brother Thomas got the title of the book that he wrote, which um, is a book, of course, that talks about the foundation principles of the hope that we share. So that's just a couple of things that, that just want to keep in mind as a foundation. It's, a, it's a, an Israelite Jewish hope, hope of Israel, and um, salvation is the overarching theme. Okay, so how are we going to approach things tonight then? Um, as I said, there's lots interwoven throughout the New Testament, but there are a number of passages where our attention is directly drawn to Isaiah. And it's characterised by that, a phrase is like the one at the top there, where it says, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, and it tells us what he said, or it's in that context. And on, on the screen there, we've got, I think, all. I hope they are all of them, but if you find another one, that's great. Okay, but on the left-hand side, I've got the passages in Isaiah, and on the right-hand side, I've got the New Testament passages where our attention is drawn. And, of course, there are a number of times where the same thing is drawn, and Isaiah 53 is an obvious example of that, um, and Isaiah 29 so we will have a look at most of these this evening. That's what we're going to do. And, and what I want us to do is look at why. Why was our attention being drawn back to Isaiah? What was it that um, our Lord Jesus Christ intended when he highlighted, or Paul might have intended when he highlighted it? Okay. I hope nobody's furiously writing this down. That's good. All right. Then we've got the next aspect is where our attention is drawn to passages, and this is in a more general form, where it usually says something about being in the law and the prophets. And again, we'll see that there are some of these that overlap. All right. So, And we're going to have a look at um, these because they sort of encompass what... Um, what we'll try and do this evening to get an essence of this. Okay, so if we go to Romans chapter 9, we're looking now at the hope of Israel. Of course, in Romans, when Paul is, is um, writing to the believers at Rome, he's dealing with the issue, in particular these chapters of chapter 9 through to 11, about is there any hope for the, the Jews, for the Israel? Has God finished with Israel? That's really the, the, the question that, ha that is being um, dealt with here. And if we go to chapter, uh, verse 22 of Romans 9, we just pick up here. He said, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make, make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory, the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called? not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And then he draws their attention to Hosea. And he says, as he saith also in Hosea, 
I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to part them in that place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. And then he draws our attention to Isaiah in verse 27. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And so Paul is reinforcing from a New Testament perspective what Isaiah's message was throughout the book of Isaiah. That yes, there will be a remnant. God's plan is as its foundation in the Jews and Israel. It is a hope of Israel. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 10 that we have on the screen there. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, which are, as are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Truth, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord, Yahweh of armies, shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. And so Paul is saying, yes, God will judge Israel, but a remnant will return. And Paul says, God's going to work with this people. Yes, they've, they were guilty of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, which, of course, is one of the issues that was of concern here. Is there still a hope for this people that, that treated the Lord in that way? And, and, and Paul is saying, yes, there is a hope for this, this remnant. God has this plan. Um, Verse 28, and he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and made like unto Gomorrah, which is quoting Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9. And, of course, the lament was there, wasn't it? Well, there's going to be this remnant come back because if there wasn't a remnant, it would be like Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed entirely. And so God is preserving a remnant, preserving those that will be his people. And he goes on, What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness? even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Now, in our first study, we saw that that was one of the central issues, wasn't it, for the people? They were focused on their sacrifices and their offerings and performing things in acts of service, but hadn't connected to God. They hadn't connected to the principles, principles upon which God had wanted them to identify with him and how he had worked 
with them. And so it wasn't based on the principles of righteousness. They followed a law. And of course, because they followed a law, they became guilty of the law. And we're going to see that a little bit later on. And so Paul goes on, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offence, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed or confounded. And of course, he's drawing our attention to something that's written somewhere else. Um, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10. Wherefore also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people... Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears, and hear with their ears, sorry, see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. And so that was, that was um, the issue, wasn't it, that the, the people had not listened, they had not opened their eyes and as a result they didn't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the basis of their salvation. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ was that, that stumbling stone, wasn't he? In an Isaiah chapter 28 it talks about it, doesn't it? That, that stumbling stone. Wherefore, hear the word of Yahweh, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore, thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I lay in Zion, for a foundation of stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste or shall not be ashamed, is the sense of that. And we'll see why that isn't the case. And so it's not direct, but it's clearly quoted, wasn't it, in Romans 9 verse 33. That's the sentiments of what... Paul is drawing our attention to in verse 33 what is in Isaiah chapter 28 here. And this is as a result of the rulers of the people in, as we saw in, in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 14. The, the rulers then were not leading the people properly in the time of Isaiah and the same applied in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, the Lord Jesus Christ became a rock of stumbling. He wasn't the foundation stone. He wasn't the one that they built on. They were too busy building their own empires, their own edifices. They were 
really focused on their own self-importance. Of course, there's little exhortations that we can all draw from this, aren't there? You know, what, what, what is the foundation that we are building on? Are we building on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we that, that remnant, as it were, that few that are choosing that way? Or are we like the, the majority of the population of the world that are just pursuing their, their own interests and their own lives? Because, yes, we're talking about Israel in the, in the context of Isaiah, but Israel are only uh, an aspect of human mankind itself, aren't they? We're all made of the same thing. And the things that motivate us are each of our choice. And that's really what um, is being drawn to our attention here. And so in Peter, we have there, as you come to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, the like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And that's the principle, isn't it, that's established in Isaiah. We want to be that spiritual house, that holy priesthood, and, and that we are offering not, not the technical sacrifices, just observing things to the nth degree as the, the, um, the Jews, the, the priests and the scribes were doing in the time of Christ, focusing on the jots and the tittles, and had lost sight of those spiritual sacrifices that were acceptable to God. Okay. In Ephesians chapter 2, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And that's what we need to do, isn't it, as we're emphasising here. The Lord Jesus Christ shouldn't be that rock of offence, that stone of stumbling for us. He should be that, that cornerstone upon which we build. And Romans chapter 10. But I say unto you, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by foolish nation will I anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not, I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me, but to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and again saying, 
people. And so this is that, that, that argument that Paul is going through in Romans 9, 10 and 11 saying, yes, this people has been disobedient, but always, always God is stretching forth his hands to them. He is continuing to work with them. And that was picked up from Isaiah chapter 65. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to see my, to my face that sacrifices in gardens or burns incense upon altars of brick which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments which eat swine flesh and broth of abominable things in their vessels, all these things that are abhorrent to God, which say, Stand by thyself, come near, not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day, the planting of Yahweh, that he might be glorified. So God was prepared to work with this people that, that were doing these things. And for us, brethren and sisters and young people, there is an encouragement there because we're not always obedient either, are we? We often choose to do the wrong thing. We do things that are not pleasing to God. And there is that opportunity to come back to him again. We always need to remember that, that God is working with this remnant, those that are willing to return to him. And God will bless those that, that do that, despite the fact that it might be in the circumstances and doesn't really matter how bad something is, if we repent and to come back to God, he will work with us. And really that's the lesson, isn't it, that comes out of the way that God worked with Israel. It is a hope of Israel, and it's the same hope that we have. And this leads into one of the issues that was central that um, we've already alluded to, transgressing the commandment of God by tradition. In um, Matthew chapter 15... It says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy, thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And in Mark 7 verse 5, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Okay. 
So the principle here is drawn out of Isaiah chapter 29, the idea that, um, that Jesus is addressing here. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. And the prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. So everything had become darkness to them. They were in a spirit of sleep. Their eyes were shut. Their ears were shut. No one could reveal anything to them. They couldn't open the Bible. They weren't able to read it. They weren't able to understand it. And he said, and the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this. And he says, I'm not learned. Wherefore, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do they honour me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. And that's one of the, the issues, isn't it, that, that Jesus was addressing here, that the heart was removed from God because they were taught by the precept of men, the traditions of men. And it's important for us to remember that, isn't it, in our worship and the way that we conduct ourselves, that the things that we think are important, we need to make sure that they are based on scriptural principles, that we don't have extra weight focused on issues and things that are not based on scripture and our relationship with God, things that might be um, traditions or just doing things, going through the motions of worship, particularly if they take us away from God and negate the principles of God. And that leads us into the aspect of loving your neighbour as yourself. Of course, we saw that in our first study. This was God's solution for the people. And that's what is taught, of course, in, in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Therefore all things whatsoever ye do, ye would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And again in Matthew 22, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And of course we saw that in our first study, didn't we? That was what Isaiah's message was to the people. He said, forget about all these sacrifices that you've been observing and the, the moons that you've been observing and do this. He says, learn to do well Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, 
and let us reason together, saith Yahweh. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is drawing their attention to, to the law and the prophets and clearly that was this would be one of those um, areas that, that um, the Lord Jesus Christ is drawing their attention to because it was how the people would learn to do well. And it was about the way that they treated their neighbour. Those that were in need, those that were oppressed, those that were fatherless, and those that were widows. And when they did that, it would lay a foundation for them to bring them closer to God. Because when we reach out to those that are in need, we become aware of how much God has done for us. And when we become aware of how much God has done for us, then it brings us closer to God. And we understand more about what it is that separates us from God. We understand the nature that we bear, the sins that we commit. And we understand that God has put in place that process of reconciliation through the Lord Jesus Christ, by which our sins can become as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so it's about living the truth, isn't it? Living the truth, living the principles of God in our lives. Okay, we talked about the, um, the Jewish hope being a foundation principle and of course the promises to David feature um, quite centrally in our thoughts as well. In um, Matthew chapter 1, we are told, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And of course, we've already seen this, haven't we? In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 
and that there would be one that would come forth of the rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in Isaiah chapter 9, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment, and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of Yahweh of armies will perform this. And so, in drawing our attention or taking it back to Isaiah, and Isaiah having spoken of it as events to come, we see clearly, don't we, that the whole of Scripture is showing that plan and purpose of God and those promises that have been promised all through Scripture will come to pass. And it's exciting, isn't it, when you can see those things recorded. They are evidence within Scripture itself that God has the power to achieve what he has said he will achieve. And so they're not just academic promises, are they? They are promises that are real. Some have been fulfilled and we know that all will be fulfilled ultimately. In Luke chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. And so in the words of Luke here, or in the Gospel of Luke here, we can see, emphasise what we've already said there. That God will fulfil his promises as he did right through to Abraham himself. We see in verse 71 the sentiments almost of Hannah's song that we sang, didn't we? That despite that we are surrounded by enemies at times, that those enemies will be taken away and we will be saved by God's anointed one, the promised one, promised in, to, in Genesis, of course, to Abraham and in Samuel to David. And these sentiments are picked up in Isaiah 14. For Yahweh will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land and the strangers shall be joined with them and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob and the people shall take them and bring them to their place and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of Yahweh for servants and handmaids 
and they shall take them captives whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. And it shall come to pass in the day that Yahweh shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from thy hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve. And so really that is capturing the idea, isn't it? They would be rescued from those where they were made to serve. And if we just flip back, that they would be saved from their enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And those sentiments are picked up in Isaiah chapter 14, that it would be promised that that would be the case. And so the promises to David sort of continue that theme, don't they, that our hope is a hope of Israel. We move on to the aspect of repentance, baptism, forgiveness of sins. In Luke chapter 3, we read, The word of God came unto John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he came unto all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so in Luke here, we see here that it's, of course, a prophecy about John coming, isn't it? It's a prophecy about the one that would be that voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. But of course, it's not just a prophecy about John being there as a person, is it? It's about what he did as well. It's about the way that he prepared the way of the Lord and make his path straight to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was all about, wasn't it? Preaching baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That was what John did, wasn't it? And that's how he prepared the people. The same sort of idea is in John chapter 1. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, nor neither the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. And of course, it's an irony there, isn't there, that the one that he was preparing the way for was there in their midst, and they didn't know him. They weren't being prepared to be prepared. And they should have been, because 
their attention was drawn back to the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh hath spoken it. And when we think about the words of Isaiah there in Isaiah chapter 40, where he's talking about valleys being exalted and mountains and hills being made low and crooked being made straight, it's not really talking about those physical attributes, it's talking about people, isn't it? It's the way that God is working with people because it's about God's glory being revealed and all flesh seeing it together and, and using those as examples. God is demonstrating how powerful he is and that's a message for him, for all of us, that if God can do it, with those physical attributes which we know he can, he can work with us as well. And John was there to prepare the people for this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in that, that desert place. But the people didn't listen, did they? Not all of them. Particularly those that were in leadership And they were looking for a Messiah that would give them authority, that would almost perpetuate what they had in place already. Uh, and that was really the problem, wasn't it? That the Messiah that came wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for. Even some of the Lord's disciples thought that he would set up the kingdom there and then. And he had to work with them, didn't he, to prepare them for the things that were needed to take place, the work that they had to do. But it's also a lesson for us, isn't it, about our Lord Jesus Christ and how we identify with him. And really that brings us into our next section, looking for the Messiah looking at sections of scripture that draw our attention to how the Jews saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 12, then went the Pharisees out and held a council against Jesus how they might destroy him. So Matthew 12 is against this context here of the Pharisees deciding that they wanted to put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known that it might be fulfilled by Isaiah the prophet saying. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12 and see what did Isaiah the prophet say in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 18. 
Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. And of course, that's from Isaiah chapter 42, isn't it? That's, that's the message that Isaiah had. And that's really, as we saw in, in um, one of our studies earlier, one of the aspects that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't cry out in the streets. He, he used this as a means of preaching the truth to those that were willing to hear. There was no point in trying to reach out to those that had set their hearts and their minds on his destruction because this was all about salvation, the salvation of those that were prepared to hear his message, those that were fragile, those that were prepared to listen. And of course, ultimately, it would be to those that were not Jews, the Gentiles themselves. And so the Jews, particularly here, those of the Pharisees, had gone to the extreme that they had not been looking for the Messiah that came and as a result had set themselves in opposition to him and were not prepared to listen to the saving message that he had. In Acts chapter 3, And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And so Paul is drawing the attention of the people here, that it was always in the plan of God that Christ should suffer. He would suffer. And everything that was recorded was fulfilled. And because it was fulfilled, they should repent and be converted, that their sins would be blotted out. And of course, we've looked at this, haven't we? Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. God prophesied that through the mouth of Isaiah, didn't he? Those things happened to our Lord. And Isaiah chapter 53, of course, they happened again, didn't they? And we've read that as well. But of course, in Isaiah chapter 53, 
it has that aspect of our sins being blotted out because that suffering wasn't a suffering just for suffering's sake itself. That suffering achieved something. It achieved something because in Isaiah 53 verse 4, he hath borne our griefs, he hath carried our sorrows, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Yeah, we could see that, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Of course, for the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, that was quite foreign to what they were expecting to happen. And of course, for all of us, as maybe natural man, we might say, well, did it really have to be like that? Well, of course it did, and, and God said that it would be that way. In John chapter 12, Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. For while ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and hid him, did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet believed not him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor hear with their ears. There we go, we've got it on the next screen there. Yep. He blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. They should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And, and that was really the issue, wasn't it? That they had become more focused on the praise of men than the praise of God. And as a result of that, they had become blinded in their eyes, they had hardened their heart, and so that they wouldn't be able to understand and be converted and to be healed of God. And that was the warning that God gave to the people, wasn't it? We've already alluded to Isaiah 53, but that's what John was drawing 
our attention to in, in John chapter 12 and, um, and verse 38, where he said there in John 12 verse 38, Lord who hath believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed and that's Isaiah 53. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. They didn't see the Messiah that they wanted to see. And we say, well, how foolish of them. All the things that happen, the way that the Lord Jesus Christ was born, everything indicated, everything was obvious that this was the Son of God. And yet they turned their back on him. And there must be an exhortation for us there, mustn't there, brethren and sisters, about what, what example of the Lord Jesus Christ do we want to follow? What aspects of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ are we keen to make part of our lives? Do we involve the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives? Do we desire him? Or do we despise some of the principles by the way that we live our lives? Are we real about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's always very easy for us to point our finger at the, um, the scribes and the Pharisees and say, how foolish were they? But the reality is that sometimes we might, even by our own actions, be just like them. The, the second section that John is drawing their attention to um, in John chapter 12 there in verse 40 was from Isaiah 29 for the Yahweh hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers hath he covered and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, read this and I pray he cannot for it is sealed. And we've already quoted from this, haven't we? And so John is drawing their attention to it becomes so bad that almost the word of God had become a sealed book to them. And really this principle is, is important to embrace because we've, we've looked at a couple of occasions where their specific attention has been drawn to this issue. But throughout the New Testament, this comes up time and time again. The aspect of eyes being shut so they shouldn't see, or ears being shut that they might not hear. And because that is seems to be quite frequently 
dealt with, it's something that we do need to, to keep in mind in our lives. Uh, are we shutting our eyes at times to the, to the word of God? Are we not hearing what we ought to be hearing? Are we, are we not giving ourselves the opportunity to, to hear the word of God by not reading it anyway? Is the word of God sometimes or more often than not a closed book to us? Do we open it as often as we ought to? It's important for us, of, of course, to each be motivated in our own faith, isn't it? Um, otherwise it does result really with that warning at the end there in verse 13. Uh, we, we can so easily become a people that draw near with our mouth and with the lips. We, we give verbal assent to the things that we believe, but our heart is removed from God. And because we aren't convinced of the things personally and we just do what is expected of us because we're told to do whatever we might do. And that's the extreme that the people in, in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ had taken things and it's something that's a warning for us that we have to be careful of as well, that our faith is strengthened personally. Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, Murmur not among yourselves, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And that's an, an allusion to Isaiah 54. Of course, there are probably other passages, but Isaiah 54 and verse 13. And all thy children shall be taught of Yahweh, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Those that are taught of God will find peace. We have been called to a wonderful hope, brethren and sisters, and it is the one that is given to us through the, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we come to him because God has called us, and God has called us about being taught of him. And Luke chapter 4, where the Lord Jesus Christ was delivered that book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. 
And he gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so what was our Lord reading from? Well, Isaiah chapter 61. Where it says there, the spirit of the Lord Yahweh is upon me because Yahweh hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh and the day of vengeance. Sorry, day of Yahweh, full stop. And then it goes on, doesn't it? To proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. This is a message of hope, isn't it? For this people, that they would get beauty for ashes. They would get the oil of joy for mourning. They would get the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of Yahweh that he might be glorified. And that was, wasn't it, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole plan of God's salvation for the people. And that's our hope, isn't it, brethren, sisters and young people, that we might be like those that are called trees of righteousness, that we are planted in Yahweh, that he might be glorified of course that's God's plan for the earth isn't it so how are we embracing these principles in our lives how are we preparing for that day yes life in the truth is not always easy challenges will come the rod of correction at times might come upon us where God works with us to bring us back to him as he did with his people Israel. But always we need to remember that if we put our trust and confidence in our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that that time will come where we will receive beauty for those times of ashes, that we will receive that oil of joy for that period of mourning, that we will wear garments of praise out of the spirit of heaviness and that we might be glorified by God as we bring glory and honour to him. And so that's really the emphasis of the message, isn't it, that we have seen throughout Isaiah and 
God's message and, and the New Testament fundamentally takes us back there. And so as we continue our readings and maybe in the New Testament we can maybe look out for echoes that we have been seeing in the readings from Isaiah as we commence from July onwards looking at the New Testament. We can make those connections back to the, the Old Testament.